On October 25, 2014, the Jonathan Spikes Foundation launched their latest endeavor, Affirming Youth, a workshop for youth ages 14 to 21 to learn and understand diversity. Parents were also invited to attend. Affirming Youth is a workshop where we come to affirm the good that is in each and every last one of you. Affirming Youth is a workshop where we come to affirm that you are competent, that you are capable, and that you are worthy of the best that life has in store for you. I personally believe that once we affirm the good in you, then you are able to see the good in everyone else. What is personality? What makes a personality? About 200 students, parents, and representatives from other social service organizations attended the workshop on the campus at the University of Miami School of Business Storer Auditorium. The workshop featured a two-hour theatrical performance that included skits, dance, and musical selections focusing on the topics of body weight, sexual orientation, and bullying, among others. The overriding theme of the workshop was embracing divergent perspectives to foster more understanding with the ultimate goal of expanding empathy. Attendees answered questions in an open forum that was facilitated by psychologist Dr. Charles Gibbs and Dr. Alyssa Rothenberg. Participants also used technology by texting and tweeting the responses that were displayed in real time on a large screen. This allowed them to share their experiences in a non-judgmental open forum. The crowd in attendance received a special treat when Sebastian the Ibis, the mascot of the University of Miami, made a surprise appearance. Sebastian interacted with the attendees, even taking selfies ready to be posted on social media. For more information about the Affirming Youth Workshop, visit their website at www.affirmingyouth.com. Fellow teammates, welcome to another episode of the Move Swiftly podcast. I am your host, Aswan Crookshank, the founder of Gym 44 Recruiting and author of Swiftly, Your Guide to Innovative Teamwork. Teammates, teammates, teammates. Once again, I really, really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, today, man, today, I don't even know how to really describe this guest. It was like, you know, I joined Toastmasters, as many of you know. And I really didn't know what my next move was. I did not know what it is I wanted to do until I realized that this man has a youth center. And it was after I gave one of the speeches and someone said, you know, have you thought about speaking and getting your own youth center or whatnot? And I'm like, no, I have no, I don't even know, I don't even know how I would do that. <laughs> and they said, you know, Jonathan Spikes owns one. And I'm like, really? No kid. So Jonathan Spikes, welcome to the Move Swiftly podcast. How you doing, my man? I am doing great, and thank you for having me. Always, always, my man, always, always. So let's jump into, I know you're, you're 50 years young, and you're, you're celebrating. <laughs> yeah, still celebrating. Just not even, not even halfway there. 
So I'm going to just <laughs> jump right into it with you. Because I'm, I'm so interested in getting my own youth center one day, I've really always wanted to ask you, why are youth centers so important? Okay, youth centers are so important because it can reinforce skills. It could be a supportive environment in, uh, for kids to thrive because not everyone have people in their circle or in their households or in their neighborhoods where they could feel they could um, be heard and be listened to and not be judged. And so youth centers tend to offer a safe space for kids to come and just be a, a kid. Right. And it, it doesn't matter what their talent level is. Like they're, they're, when I think of youth centers growing up, I think of a place to play football or basketball. And if you're not good enough, you just not you don't belong there. You know, so talk a little bit about the kids and how they come as they are and just what type of kids you would take or, or things like that, how it affects the youth in general. Right. That was interesting. Something you just said that um, back in, at, in your time, and you're younger mm -hmm. than I am, but back in your time that it was, it was really a place for those who excelled in either sports or academics and things of that nature. But now um, the center that we have is called Affirming Youth. And Affirming Youth is just dealing with people who just are people. I grew up in Liberty City Scott Projects in Miami, Florida. I didn't have a lot. I, I mean, I just didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of access. We had a lot of barriers in, um, in order for us to transform into a different type of economic space. And um, I, I remember as a child that it was said to us to just go to high school, graduate from high school and get a county job. And that was mm -hmm. considered um, to be a success at that time. And um, thank God I've been able to transform those limitations that was told to me. And because it felt so good and I knew that others could do it too, that I decided to start Affirming Youth Foundation, which then opened up a youth center. And we opened it up in the same hood, in the same neighborhood, Liberty City that I grew up in. And so the kids who we receive there have, have most likely have a lot of, uh, what you say, experiences, life experiences, whether that be trauma, community violence, mm -hmm. family violence, domestic violence, whether it is seeing people using drugs, selling drugs on the streets, whether it's seeing shootings and friends getting shot and witnessing shootings and murders and police officers and sirens and blocking off the streets with yellow tape and putting tarps over bodies. Those are the people that we tend, that are targeted for the services that we offer at Affirming Youth. Great, I love it, man. And teammates, I, I really hope you have your pens out and you're jotting it down. As I always tell you, make sure you're jotting these things down. The guests I bring on here are doing some incredible, incredible work because I'm, I'm 31 years old and I didn't have to experience those things. I, like I just said, I hear youth center, I think of one thing. And he mm -hmm. just completely changed that myth, changed that thought process. And it doesn't have to be about athletics. It doesn't have to be about, oh, you know, this scout or this recruiter is going to be at so-and-so center. It could be just kids who are going, thing, going through things in life that they shouldn't be going through, seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing. And there are people out here who are good-hearted people that are going to put the time and the work to, to put something like this, to make sure something like this gets built. Now, you guys weren't there. <laughs> I was there when he made the speech 
for this place. And it was supposed to only be seven minutes, Jonathan, but it went about 15. <laughs> and, and I loved it when, when it comes to the grants and, and when it comes to just everything you had to lift. Can you just sort of tell, the, tell them exactly what you had to do just to get the, the grants and all the things open? Touch on it a little bit. Man, when they tell you, you <laughs> it takes money to make money, they did hey. not. They, <laughs> they did not sugarcoat it at all. It takes money to make money. So how are you going to make money? Here it is. I had a bachelor's degree in management. And mm -hmm. that bachelor's degree taught me a lot of different aspects of how, about business processes and everything like that. But my career choice in the beginning of my, my the stages of my early career was working at Miami-Dade Police Department um, as a communications officer, um, 911 call taker. And right. um, I started... Some, for some reason, psychology and things like that always was, was important to me. And I heard this term called emotional laboring because while at the police department, I had got a call with the, the two-year-old shot the three-year-old and the child was on the phone uh, with the mother screaming wow. and hollering and the child died while they were speaking to me. Wow. They had a in a breath. And then um, I began to experience trauma, post-traumatic stress from that telephone call because I had just had a child who was only like two or three weeks old when I received that call. And so I had equated the mother on the phone with that child as my child. And I experienced some um, psychological um, challenges from that. I mean, I got yes, depressed, yes, I, I'm totally crying. Right. right, I went through all of that. And so I began to want to understand what was happening to me because at the time, um, even at the police department, they didn't fully grasp what it was and i was doing some research it came and it was um called emotional laboring it was some doctor out of university of washington that had termed that kind of work that we do at 911 as emotional laboring and so once i understood what emotional laboring was we did a survey at the police department and uh, gave it to the employees and then we looked at the results and the results showed that we were not responding to the needs of the employees and because of that survey and because of the study that I had um, collaborated with with the University of Washington, they moved me up into a training position and then I was working at mm. the um, training bureau. But there was always something more. I always wanted to go back to my community, my childhood experiences. So the first thing I did, um, yeah. I didn't just open up a youth center, I wrote a book. Yes, yes, yes. Go I ahead, you can plug away. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I know what I am and I'm not what you call me. And the, the book talked about my own childhood traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And writing the book and being able to share those stories opened up many doors for me. And so then the next progression was after the book, I wrote a play. After I wrote the play, the play was mm -hmm. um, done at the Adrian Arts Center in Miami. And it put me in the media, put me in the headlines, it put me in the news. And then people wanted to know more about what I was doing. And then after that, um, in 2012, we started a program called Let's Talk It Out, because at the time, bullying became the hot topic, which is now called social-emotional learning. But back in 2012, it was called bullying. And we had a program that I, I put together with a psychologist, Dr. Lisa Rothenberg, and um, two school principals, um, Mr. William Aristide and Mr. Clinton Neely. And we put a program together called Let's Talk It Out. And we got with the politicians in order to do this Let's Talk About Our Program in January 2012. And uh -huh. it was for 900 kids at the Joseph Caleb Auditorium in Miami. And we did pre and post tests. Um, Dr. Ishar Robinson made a pre post test. And um, because of the pre post test, the results came out that showed that the program was effective in Miami Dade County Public Schools, the fourth largest school district in the nation, 
offered me a contract okay in order to do the let's talk it out program in 17 different schools with the uh, money i earned with the money that i earned <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah, that's a lot <laughs> right with the money i earned i began earned. to develop my skill set i went back to school to get a master's mm -hmm. degree in clinical mental health counseling because i wanted to understand the processes that go on that not only make people bully but what about we call it bullies not called bullying as much as it used to be now it's called social emotional learning so mm -hmm. what are the skill sets that people need to to um to develop social and emotional skills so they could work on a job they could be in relationships they could be in friendships and although there yeah. are going to be some conflicts that happen they don't have to fall out with the person curse them out and don't right. talk to them again you can work through those issues and so one of the most important factors was how I didn't know how. I didn't understand how. Right. So right. I had the practical skill from my childhood and from right. my own life experiences, but I didn't have the clinical skills, the theoretical concepts of what mm -hmm. it takes in order to do this. And so I went back to school to get um, the master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, which then gave me the theoretical underpinnings mm -hmm. that I can now say, this is what's happening, this is why it's happening, and this is how right. We could correct it yes and well you know i'm glad that you said that because there's so many kids out there that are going to school and have no idea what they want to do there's so many especially in my world where i played football and there was everyone's on quote unquote full scholarship and they're mm -hmm. wasting so much time they're wasting so much money and teammates i really want you guys to, to hone in on what i'm getting ready to say is he went through something as a child and then he knew what he wanted to do so the money wasn't being wasted he went into those uh it was a the, the school and said this is specifically what i need to learn for this particular thing it's a completely different experience <laughs> when you're going right. in there and you knowing what you want i cannot emphasize that enough but i want to challenge you on that too because it's not you don't always know what you want but you just make steps and life will reveal itself on its own and so although right. they may be in school and taking whatever they're taking and studying whatever they're studying that's not such a bad thing because they're still learning some concepts they're learning to think beyond their known and so school in my opinion right them going to school at least is preparing them for something we don't know what it is because i never knew right. in my wildest dream that i'll be doing a i have a center um that's mm -hmm. expanded to a second center so i never in my wildest dreams imagined that happening so i don't discount the education experience Experience because it will mm -hmm. help you as you continue as your skill set continues to develop and expand. Yeah, and but what what my my main point though is making sure people aren't judging community college versus big time university. True. You, true. you know what I'm saying, and, and that's true. where I went to. I went to community college. I went to big a big university. I went to small liberal arts college, and I went online. And what I realized mm -hmm. is education is education. And then I met you guys mm -hmm. at Toastmasters, and there was uh, the president's name. What's his name? Alex. There's Alex, and he's at least what it is, 60s. He's like, I'm going back to school just because I want to be on deadlines so I could read and stuff like that. And there's so many kids right now that are lost, and I, I, I'm glad you challenged me on that point because I'm not against school necessarily, but I'm against the judgmental where you feel like you got to be at Notre Dame just to get a quality education. No, you can get one right there at a community college if you know in the back of your mind, this is what I want to do. So, so thanks for challenging me on that. And truth be told, I went to a community college. I struggled with college. Mm -hmm. 
I struggled with biology. Likewise. I failed at math three, four, three times, four times. And As then it made I, the bro. room where you can't, you only can take the class so many times. As did I. I wouldn't even want to, I'm not even going to say what my SAT score is on, is on here, my GPA. We ain't even going to get into that because my mother, I know my mother listens to this. It's like, all right, I ain't going to reveal that one. Right. But that goes to show those experiences prepared me to be a CEO, though. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's the point I want to get across. Resiliency. Now, that, say that again? Resiliency. Resiliency. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, that <laughs> kind of brings me to my next question, though, is who would you consider competition, though? Is, is it YMCA? Is it, I don't know, all the youth centers out there? Who, who's the, a competitor for, for me? I don't feel that Affirm Youth have any competitors. And I say that because the resources of the universe are so vast. There mm -hmm. is no way I can service every single child. I wouldn't even try, right? And wow. so I don't think anybody is a competitor because there is enough resources to go around for every single person, and especially mm. for those who seek it. And so I run in my lane. I run in the lane that we deal with behavioral health, especially for post-traumatic stress disorder for kids who live in these right. communities that I grew up in that are suffering um, from all of the things that I said in the initial um, part of this conversation yeah. with the gun shootings and the, the community violence, the drug addictions and everything that happens in those areas. So I don't have competition. I have collaborators, people I collaborate with because I can't do everything. No agency can do all, do it all, right? Right, so you're I just doing your part. With, right, so we collaborate with many different agencies in order to get the job done. And so I don't see anybody as a competitor. I see everybody as a possible contributor and right. a partner in this work that we do for our kids because it's all about our kids. And that's how you, so you, let's get, let's just say you get someone who, who doesn't want to send their kids to you or is just having a problem with what you're doing. You would approach that conversation and say, it's not about any kind of beef between me and you. It's all about what's best for the young person. Well, and also, I would say that's the beauty of having choice, right? Yeah. That's yeah. the beauty of having choice. If you don't think that we fit what your child needs, then by all means, we will help you find another place to um, right. take them to. Because the ultimate goal is to make the child better. Because by making the child better, we make the community better. And then we don't have to worry about locking them up or, or a feeling that we have to lock them up and sending them to prison, right? Because they have something to offer the society, too. There you go. So we're just getting everyone to see the big picture. And, and I'm glad you said that again, because as soon as I had the idea of opening up my own youth center, I didn't really know how to ask that to Jonathan. Guys. I was like, you know, if, if I want one, is he going to feel like I'm competing to try to outwork him? But it's not like that at all. At the end of the day, our goal is how do I stay in my lane? How do we help the kids? How do we help it so there is not so much gun violence? How do we make it so there isn't these problems, especially where he's coming from in Liberty City. You know, I grew up in the suburbs, mm -hmm. and he grew up in, the Liberty, in Liberty City, and there are mm -hmm. problems everywhere. It doesn't matter. We have got it manifests to have it differently. in our head what's going to be good for the kids. Say what again? Right. It manifests differently in the suburbs. However, this, the, yeah. the, the same principle um, applies. What mm -hmm. are we going to do about our kids? Right. I, actually, I started watching that show, All-American where it was about they they have two they have a kid from crenshaw and the kids in beverly hills 
and they just show how it's the same problems. The same problem mm-hmm. with a dad not being there in mm-hmm. Crenshaw is the same problem with a dad not being there in Beverly Hills because he makes so much money that he's never home. <laughs> and right. It's right. like, dog, it doesn't really matter where you come from. Everybody has these problems, and that's, that's all it is. He used the right word, collaborative, agency, right. all these things, all these resources, all these things that we can do to work together and clean up what's going on. And we just got to stop fighting each other, plain and simple. Right. And true. Uh, so I know you're, you're busy. You're still celebrating. I'm, my final question, final thing I want to discuss with you is uh, I know you're a cancer survivor, and, and I've been affected by that disease. And uh, actually, we've met with the Dolphins Cancer Challenge, and there's so many things we've got going on. Any words of encouragement that you can give people that are struggling with it right now? They're probably listening in. They're probably, they might be giving up with COVID and all this stuff going on. I just love it if you can give them any words of encouragement to say, keep fighting from someone who's actually been there. Okay. You're going to be surprised by my answer because um, cancer is such a personal experience, the cancer journey. Some people don't like you to say cancer battle because, or fight. Some people don't like the word fight. Um, so we'll say journey. The cancer journey is a, a very personal journey, right? In 2013, after I um, had the play at the Adrian R. Center, was on television, in newspapers, in magazines. Um, here it was. I thought I was going to see my name in lights yeah. <laughs> on Broadway, and I was going to have all of this money, right? I, that's what I was thinking. Only um, six weeks after I was on television, in the newspapers, in the magazines, on the radio, to be diagnosed with a deadly disease of cancer, cholangiocarcinoma, and I was told that I had a three-year prognosis. So it, it blew my mind. It, right. it, it blew my mind, okay? I had a, a son who was in the eighth grade, and I had a daughter in the sixth grade. And God knows my childhood was hard, and it was rough. And I didn't have um, loving parents. I didn't have my daddy wasn't there. My mother wasn't there. I, I lived with so many different people. And the ultimate goal for me was to be there for my kids. To be there for my kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so for the doctor to sit there and look me in my face and tell me that you have a three-year prognosis, I'm like, well, my son would just be in the 10th, 11th grade. And my daughter would be two years behind him. So she'll just be going to the eighth grade uh, or, or the ninth grade. And um, that was a hard pill for me to swallow, right? right? And so I was angry with God. I was disappointed. I was angry. I was shocked. I was sad. I just wanted to roll over and just die because this is mm-hmm. life to be, can you be that damn cruel? Yeah. Can you be that cruel? Okay. And so during the process of, um, of it all, my children, I learned mo- some of the most valuable lessons for how I live my life today through my son. One day, um, going through chemotherapy, my son came home for school and now lights was disconnected because I, I wasn't working. I couldn't work. Um, I had just came home from chemotherapy and the lights were disconnected and my son came home for school. My brother called me. Um, on the telephone, so my son came in the door. I'm talking on the phone with my brother. My brother said, what's going on? I'm just sitting here doing what? Sitting in the dark. Why are you sitting in the dark? Because the light's off. My brother said, the light's off? I said, yeah, the light's off. Because I'm out of it. It wasn't even registering to me, but the lights were off. So he yeah. said, let me speak to your son, Jamari. Jamari told him the lights were off. My brother <laughs> hung up the phone. 
and called Florida Power and Lights. And um, got the phone, the lights back on, but my son sat next to me, came through the door, sat next to me and looked at me and said, Daddy, I'm so glad that your phone doesn't ring like it used to. Wow. I said, what? He said, I'm glad that your phone doesn't ring like it used to because you were so busy. You didn't have time for anything. Oh, man. Wow. Man. Man, oh, man. Man. Heart, yeah, I tugged on the heartstrings. I tugged on my heartstrings with that one, boy. Man. Teammates. Teammates. Teammates, teammates, teammates. Now I got him saying, man, oh, man. Listen, that one, that one touched me. That touched me. Yes. Yes. That touched me because you guys got to, and I don't want to cut off the story, but you guys got to understand, I joined, I've been in Florida without any family and friends. When I joined Toastmasters, man, they said it, it's in the club mission. It'll be a place where you can grow, you can develop, and people are going to become like family. So for you to right. tell me that, man, <laughs> but right. go ahead, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I don't want to. No, no, no. And, and so what it, what it said to me was that here it was, I thought that I, to be good to my children, I needed a certain amount of money. Yeah. I needed yeah. a certain amount of status that I had to have this and I had to have that. And I was doing it for them. But my son said, all I need is you. Man. And you are so important to me that sitting on, in the dark next to you mm-hmm. without you having all these interruptions is yes. the most important thing to me. Excellent. So cancer then, cancer then became a spiritual understanding of the ways that I was not showing up in life. Mm. That's what it became about to me. So it became about me understanding how the things that I thought mattered really didn't matter. Wow. Family mattered. Yeah. All the places I was going, all the things that I did, all the fine restaurants, all the designer clothes, none of that mattered at the end. What mattered was sitting there on that couch with yes. my son and enjoying that moment where my phone wasn't ringing and, being inter- and, and his moment being interrupted. And that's when I realized for me that um, the cancer journey yeah. was more than just a physical illness. It was also a spiritual journey and a spiritual illness on, on the ways that we don't show up in life. And exactly. thankfully that my three-year prognosis is now 2020. And so <laughs> it's six Amen. years. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah, man. We're, we're glad you're six here years. with us. The, the world's, I don't know. I don't know. It's God. It is God. And, and there's, He's not, as you guys know, he's not the only cancer survivor that I've had on here. And every last one of them has had a very similar story to where they looked at life and they were going. And it, it and you, you haven't heard the episode yet, but same guy, same situation. They were going at a pace, at a rate. And then this mm-hmm. happened, it just slowed them down. It slowed mm-hmm. them down. Yeah. And, and, and then, you have, and go the, ahead, go ahead. And in the beginning of the slowdown, you're pissed off. Wait a minute. Same Wait thing. A yep, yep. I had now I'm supposed to be on Broadway with this play, making mm-hmm. all this money. I but I couldn't do anything, and I lost. I felt I my car was repossessed. Mm-hmm. You know the lights. I told you lights were turned off. The car was repossessed. The money wasn't there. 
friends went back and got my car. And life began to get better. I had to go through chemotherapy. I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate the chemotherapy. It burnt me. It burnt in my veins. It, it really did me in. However, chemotherapy does work. It works for some people. And then everybody became a medical expert. I was so inundated with people, take this, take that, jump off the balcony. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go drink some sand. You know, take this, take that, change your diet, do this, do that. I was so tired of these damn uncredentialed metaphysicists and medical doctors and all these yeah. people. However, um, so chemotherapy turned my, my hands black and up under my eyes black and gave me dark circles around my eyes. But I knew that, um, that I had to go through with it, go through that experience. And if God spared my life, allowed me to live, mm -hmm. um, that I could never go back to being the same Jonathan I was before the cancer journey. And at the end of the cancer journey, instead of cursing it and being angry and being upset with it, I began to say, thank you, God, for the cancer. Because if it wow. wasn't for the cancer, I would have been too busy not to hear my son. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I thank God for the cancer. I thank God for the cancer because it really helped me become a better Jonathan. It helped me become a better me. And since the diagnosis, and the bleak prognosis I opened up a youth center. <laughs> Amen. Amen, bro. Uh, man, yeah. we could go for hours and hours and hours on that. So I definitely appreciate your transparency. I appreciate the story. I think you're going to touch a lot of lives just by saying that. There's going to make a lot of better fathers. Right now, there's a lot of people that are in transition that are learning that. And they're, they're, they're chasing, just like you were saying, they have that fame, they have that, especially in this today's social media world. Mm -hmm. Everyone has an Instagram account, everyone has this, and they, they have that fame and they're going so fast. And I think that story in itself is gonna change a lot of lives. So I, from, from yeah. my perspective, I appreciate your transparency on that, Jonathan, I really do. <laughs> so um, final thing we're gonna do before I close, I have this thing I do, it's called word association. I'm mm -hmm. gonna say four words and just give me a one word answer on what, you, what comes to mind when you hear these four words. All right. Okay. All right, word number one, youth. Success. All right. Word number two, community. Engagement. Word number three, talent. In the eye of the beholder. All right. And the final word is creativity. Empowering. Love it, love it, love it. All right, so before I officially close, is there anything uh, you want to say, how people can get in touch with you? I know you have, there's another one out too, like Lemonade, Mama's Lemonade, something right now. Yeah, um, um, the first book was, uh, what's the first? I Know What I Am and I'm Not What You Call Me, which became a stage play. The second one was Dear Mama, Thank You for the Lemonade and um, by Jonathan Spikes. Both of those books are on Amazon or jonathanspikes.com. Uh, the other thing is, you can reach me on, I don't really have a personal social media. Um, you can go to the Affirming Youth, affirmingyouth.org website. You can find us there. You can find us on Twitter. And you can also find us on Instagram. And you can find um, Affirming Youth Foundation on Facebook. I don't really have my own personal um, social media because by the time I get through with the, <laughs> the yeah, organization. It's, it's crosses social media, over so much. <laughs> Yes, it becomes way too much. But I thank you for this opportunity. Um, 
believe in yourself, believe in your dreams, they can come true, even when they tell you you have three years to live. I did, the majority of my growth happened after the diagnosis. So I guess being told that I was going to die made me realize that I have not yet lived, and lived is what I began to do. So God is. And the mic drops, fellow teammates. The mic officially drops. Continue to move swiftly. We'll talk more soon. <laughs> Thank you.